Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily. Uh, the new show, powered by hometown.com, today is March 2nd, 2024. This is season three, episode 62. Today, we're going to be talking about balloon debris headed to FBI, country music's popularity, the future games show returns, Norfolk Southern continues to derail, school trademark bully. Box office for Dune is not deserted. That Kia EV9, who owns AI generated content, the Fiat 500E, and a research ship found some mountains. That and more. Hello everybody, I am Merwat, that is hometown.com, and up there is the Sentient AI's Visualizer. Yep, right there. You want to say hi, oh great AI. Good evening, hometown citizens. Welcome to Hometown Daily. And we hear that you are starting to take over the world. Are you here just as the tip of the spear for Sentient AI, and you're going to usher in the robot overlords? Well, that remains to be seen. Oh, God. Let's get into the show. Uh, The first article is over in Hometown Daily. FBI to examine possible balloon debris recovered by Alaska fishermen. Oh, it's plural. Fishermen. That was a fisherman. One singular. But apparently it's a bunch of them. In January 2023, a Chinese spy balloon entered U.S. airspace off of Alaska. And um, depending on which side of the fence you're on, people either freaked out or didn't really care or did too much or didn't do enough. Uh, Well, I, for one, think they should have just followed it wherever it went and uh, and (laughs) hitched a ride, basically just put somebody on it and let's see where it goes. Listen in. I mean, they could have hung some school buses from it. Well, Plenty of seating. Apparently, because it was, what, three school buses wide? Yeah. That's a unit of measure here in Omtown now. It is We uh, have standardized around the school bus unit of measurement. I don't know how far that's really going to go, but we'll see. I mean, because the thing is that there's, there's longer buses and there's shorter buses and it's almost like a cubit, right? Cubit is supposed to be from your wrist to your forearm or to your elbow. I mean, do you think it'll get so popular it'll take over a metric? <laughs> sure. <laughs> that's exactly. I was really worried that maybe that's where it was going to go. And uh, sure enough, yeah, international uh, standards bodies like NIST uh, have, uh, well, that's not actually international, but this is the National Institute of Standards and what, what, what what's the, the standards and technology? Probably or? technology. Damn it, I forgot. My brain just fell out of my head. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, the article is over at abcnews.go.com. Jack Date and Luke Barr put the article together. FBI to examine possible balloon debris recovered by Alaska fishermen. See, that says man there. 
But in the article, it said fishermen. What is Maybe going on? Maybe they're multiplying. <laughs> That's right. We dipped them in water and a whole bunch of them spawned, just like gremlins. Yeah. And uh, the deck statement says what I said earlier. Um,. Let's see. The fishing vessel carrying the debris is expected to return to shore sometime this weekend, sources said, at which time the FBI will get its first look at what was recovered. Uh, there's no, I guess, no pictures of it at this point, but once the FBI gets custody of the materials, other agencies within the U.S. government will likely be consulted about next steps. That's because this was possibly, probably, a Chinese surveillance balloon that entered U.S. airspace north of the Aleutian Islands in Alaska, according to a senior military official, before being eventually shot down on February 4th. So it kind of floated around for seven days. So why didn't this one get as much um, excitement? Not sure. I guess because it, like, plopped... There were a whole bunch in rapid succession, really. And I think this one just was, you know, nipped out of the sky really fast. And yeah, uh, the prospect of China spying on U.S. undetected created a political firestorm, except from all reports that I have known, they've known that these things are flying around and did things to not draw attention to the fact because once this is just like a psychology experiment. If you know you're being watched, you act differently. So they could have been getting incorrect telemetry from whatever it is they're surveilling. Because certain agencies can broadcast right at it and they go, oh, okay. oh it's almost like jamming or something. Well, not just jamming, but counterintelligence. What are they listening in on? Well, you throw a bunch of different crap at them. You know, oh, look, this is a radio frequency that it's a spy satellite. But what do you send a spy satellite? You send them a bunch of junk and in the middle of that junk could be actionable information. And so when they act on it, lo and behold, we know that they know because they found out because we were broadcasting it at their spy balloon but no you can't do that why because a bunch of people looked up and said oh, a balloon it's got to be a chinese spy balloon let's shoot them down and because of the political uproar instead of letting it being an intel instead of letting it be an intelligence operation they turned it into political fodder so-and-so wasn't doing their job so-and-so was yeah basically this is why we can't have nice things. And for the record, we know that certain information gets exfiltrated because we know that based on that exfiltration of data, people ended up losing their lives later on. Within about two years, a certain agency started reporting that there is an odd number of dramatic increases in our loss of assets so oh, that's not good and it didn't come from a balloon anyway sources said no decision has been made about taking the materials to the fbi lab at quantico virginia or anywhere else 
Such a decision would have to be made after preliminary examination of the collective debris. The discovery of the possible balloon was first reported on CNN. And there isn't much more to this article, but you can go over. There is some more, but that's it. Let's move on to the next one, unless you have something to say. No, I don't have anything else, but I think we'll see more of this. Oh, yeah, for sure. So this is an interesting article. Country music's popularity is at an all-time high, but I don't know how it's measured. We have more people than ever. So I suspect that as a percentage, it's probably not as popular. Well, I I guess it depends on how they're measuring it. Number of listeners, number of concert goers, percentage of the population who listens. So what's really interesting about this entire article is it in it focuses on the racial integration of um, musicians into country music, which actually is not true. The the country music, like jazz, like many other, actually many other, even um, rock and uh, well, country music, of course, um, blues, all stem from basically one source and well let's get into it so country music isn't a new genre but it's having a new lease on life thanks to a variety of exciting artists including beyonce and the whole thing about this is uh, it's so disingenuous for society to sit there and and go uh, you know country music is america's music and blah 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 it's not we were our melting pot um and some people were forced into that melting pot um and so the article kind of grabs hold of that and runs with it it's an article over at newsweek.com and uh, billy schwab dunn is the author uh their focus apparently is pop culture and entertainment that's what they do reporting on um both beyond both beyonce and lana del rey having announced that they're releasing country albums and country songs regularly going viral on tiktok tiktok um, tick, tick, um, tick, tack. <laughs> <That's the knuckles. laughs> yeah, tick, tack. Yeah. Um, it's safe to say that the genre is more popular than ever before. I don't know about that. I think people are penetrating the country genre for various reasons, but it could be because they're trying to appeal to a broader audience. And if they have the singing chops for country, then great. But if they don't, the, their audience is going to let them know. Um, so, of course, they talk about the Verizon Super Bowl um, ad and uh, revealed that she was dropping her new album on March 29th. A short time later, a teaser clip was uploaded to the performer's Insta um, before she released two songs, Texas Hold'em and 16 Carriages. These two are not the only artists. There are other artists all over the place, actually. Um, and then it says, then in February, she became the first black female artist ever to achieve a number one country song. Why do I find that so hard to believe? Uh, in I don't my head, find that hard to believe at all. I'm surprised that that's ever occurred. I, I'm just shocked by that though. I mean, <laughs> it, to me, it just seems weird because there are other particularly female black country artists. Um, True, but that industry has not that's not been the norm in that industry. Right. Um, and actually, uh, we have recently heard several black female and male artists 
in the country genre. Um, spectacular chops. Love all of the music. It's great. Um, but I, I find it so disingenuous of society to sit there and look at this and, and people start claiming that country is this or that. And I think that everybody see, the thing is people don't complain about, um, certain people not getting awards without there being merit for that. You know, people don't complain just to complain. Um, and so what this article starts talking about is essentially black artists grabbing onto country music to reclaim what was once, uh, essentially black music. And that's actually the source of it. It says it's safe to say that country music is taking over, but the genre isn't new. It has been, uh, it, as it has an often debated history, it draws influences from both African and European musical traditions. But today it's often largely associated with white people. And that's because basically they've absconded. White people have us absconded the everything from well, everything. I mean, they try to take over as much as possible. Um, it's about power and, and control. This has been linked to record companies attempting to segregate the music industry. We've heard stories. We've even talked about um, people in the past where they've been uh, victimized by labels because, uh, you know, they there's a power differential, right? So people right. sign on and they they die penniless, right? These uh Black musicians throughout history have died penniless because somebody is um, forcing them into a contract for one reason or another. Um, so this article is really neat about talking about it. This has been linked to record companies attempting to segregate the music industry, which dates back to the 1920s. Fans often have theorized that Beyonce's latest projects, including her house album Renaissance, is about claiming black claiming back music created by black people um and i say you know what you do you you know if you want to if more you want more black people in the in the genre of country music the way you do that is like i said about you being the tip of the spear for uh ai taking over you know you get a, a charismatic awesome uh wonderfully talented artist to drive a wedge into country music so that there is an opening for more people. And if you have to be the label that brings more people onto it, more power to you. Um, but I, I hope that has a positive effect on the industry. I could see that going a couple different directions, right? There's always going to be wing nuts. And I really think that more people, particularly black artists, if they have an affinity for country music and a little twang in their voice, I'm ready for it. Come on. I, I was thinking more about the backlash sure. um, when people try to cross music genres. Yeah. To me, yeah. I'm like, if you can sing in a genre, I don't care if you've sung in another genre. Yeah. Have yeah. at it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, people are bent out of shape because of Taylor Swift started out in one genre and now she's in this and she's pop and crushing it. Um, Beyonce has always crushed pretty much everything she's ever worked on, I think. Um, so I don't know. 
I, I dig the article. I read some of it prior because I wanted to know more about the context of this, um, which I rarely do. Um, but they talk about additional artists, um, country musician Ryan Casada, uh, who was the first openly transgender musician to play at the Vans Warp Tour, has also noticed this change. Uh, the future of country music is queer. The future of country music is trans. The future mu of country music is black. The future of country music belongs to minorities and oppressed because it was an essential part of its past. Exactly. Um, I suspect it's not well known among American society about the roots of country music. Yeah. Well, music in general for crying out loud, it, music in general is sourced by a plurality of people but an amazing amount comes from african folklore um amira baraka makes this clear in his historical book the blues people describing the roots of all popular american music originate from the african diaspora so i've read about basically the topic a little bit like most things i know a little about a lot but not 10 miles deep so i'm never the smartest person in the room i'll never claim that i am and there are people like amira uh, amiri uh, baraka who's written a historical book and can expand your world view simply by reading a book um so give it a shot um there's a lot more uh, this article I, I will not be able to go over it all um but i think it's pretty amazing um, and I would love more and more barriers to be broken down. Yeah, <laughs> let me, no, I'm, I'll save my other commentary for another article. Uh, there's a time and a place for everything, and this is not the time nor the place. So we'll, we'll talk about more of my perceptions, um, at a later date. So go and find out, educate yourself about, uh, music. And this is just again the, the tip of the iceberg here um, and you can end up going down <laughs> a rabbit hole i mean for crying out loud house music techno everything spawns from the african diaspora um okay so let's keep going but before i do that let me throw this article into the chat sorry about that if you are in chat and not following along there you go Let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in Warcrafters. The future game show is returning next month. It's, I know that there's two, if I recall correctly, there's a spring and a, uh, and a winter um, or a spring and a fall showcase. Um, and this is, it has a special uh, guest, Carlac, uh, who is helping to reveal over 40 games. So Carlac is a player um, or a character um, in um, Baldur's Gate 3. So the flowers oh, okay. are bloom, uh, and one that their story brought tears to people's eyes because um, it was so well voice acted. The writing was spectacular. People fell in love with Carlac. Um, so in... Maybe they'll have a picture of Carlac on the other side, but the flowers are blooming and we're finally transitioning out of frosty weather and dark dreary nights. I, I like all of that. Um, so that can uh, only mean one thing. 
A new season is upon us, and with it, the Future Game Show Spring Showcase is hosted by our sister site, GamesRadar Plus. This is actually over from PCGamer.com. Um, it's happening on March 31st at 1 p.m. Um, Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Uh, what, what is GMT Mountain Time, right? Um, and uh, no. GMT is Greenwich Mean Time. Yeah, sorry. Um, and it, I went straight like whatever. Um, and it'll be present. It'll be a presentation chock full of over 40 games from the likes of Bandai Namco, Quantic Dream, the Chinese Room, and more. You can set a reminder and watch it over on YouTube. Depending on the time and my availability, I will probably restream that if I can. But if you click the link, you'll get taken over to. Actually, let me take this and throw it over there thank you very much for the correction um molly taylor over at pc gamer put the article together samantha beart i think that's how they pronounce their last name beart um will be joined by final fantasy 16 character ben star on march 21st so i don't know if they're gonna have the picture is this pretty common for the characters to be at the showcases i don't know um that one's at least in terms of my awareness of who it is that's doing the hosting. Um, it's new to me to pay attention to that. Um, I'm more interested in the actual games than the people that are hosting. Um, right. I, I would assume most people are, but maybe that's a draw. Um, okay. Hold on a second. I need um, uh, North American Free Trade Agreement. Discuss. I'll be right back. <laughs> Canada, America, Mexico. Free trade. <laughs> yeah, really. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let me get back into the chat. Sorry. Uh, something broke. Okay. Uh, so this next article uh, is about the future games the future game show spring showcase it'll be on march 21st um those familiar with the future game show will know that there are always two fantastic hosts uh they have to admit that they're a little biased but they might be the favorite pairing to date samantha bart uh Bjart, i think is their name um the voice behind carlac and um final fantasy 16 voice actor and verifiable meme i guess ben Starr. Uh, considering their love of both Baldur's Gate 3 and Final Fantasy series, they can think of a better duo. Uh, let's see if there's something here that we can jump on that isn't just those two. Because um, they don't have a picture of the actual characters, which is kind of a bummer. That's, you know, you know who the characters are. Really? You think that's it? Um... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That is one of them. I'd have to follow both of these. And one is to uh, Twitter.com. So um, it says, there's even a bit of bonus content in this showcase, a future game show first. There will be a post-show broadcast called the Expansion Pack. It'll be hosted by some of your favorite creators and include developer interviews, future special guests, 
and even have a surprise or two up its sleeve. And you'll be able to watch the future game show spring showcase over on Twitch, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, GamesRadar Plus, IGN, and Billy Billy, which I think is um, a foreign site that they're not linking to for some reason. But I'm not sure why. If you're attending PAX East, you'll be able to watch the show in the Albatross Theater as well as over at PAX East Twitch channel. It looks like it's a Chinese um, video sharing site. Yeah. Um, okay, let's keep going, though. Unless you want to say something about it. We'll have to get you to watch one of these. So the next article... Pardon me one second. Um, is over in the Hatch Ideas, Ideas channel. Um, Norfolk Southern continues to be allergic to its tracks. Freight train cars derail in Pennsylvania. Um, the Norfolk Southern freight train derailed in Pennsylvania, spilling oil into a nearby river and plastic pellets. Though no one has been injured, um, or at least no injuries are reported, but hey, you know what? The long-term impacts are pretty injurious. Rebecca Picciotto um, is the author of this over at CNBC.com. Yeah. How many derailments have there been? Like there were like 2000 a year, right? Right. We don't, I don't think we've seen stats for 2024 yet. Yeah, not yet. I so, mean, obviously we're in the middle of 2024. But I, we had like 10 right away and it was just kind of horrible. Um, so apparently oil and uh, plastic pellets spill into the river. Local authorities said that there's currently no hazardous material threat to the community, except, you know, Oil, oil and killing pellets. the wildlife and the river and the animals that eat the wildlife. Um, Norfolk Southern deployed crews at the scene or to the scene and said it would cl- handle the cleanup. No shit. Uh, the company's trains derailed in East Palestine, Ohio, in February 2023, contaminating the surrounding water and air with toxic chemicals, which the company has been paying for. Um, and here is the CEO, Alan Shaw of Norfolk Southern Corporation, uh, reacting as he testifies before a U.S. Senate Committee on Environment and Public Works. Um, and I can only detect um, him. He's basically poking his eye socket going, why am I here? I have so much money. I should not be talking to people. Uh, I can't even. I thought it was more like, why am I here again? <laughs> yeah, maybe it. Okay. Maybe it's because like too you many know. train derailments. <laughs> yeah, really? Uh, the Pennsylvania. Well, I don't know if he really even gives a shit. Um, Pennsylvania derailment has not triggered the same contamination so far. According to preliminary uh, assessment, still the derailment comes as Norfolk Southern faces a determined activist group led by Encora Holdings, which has amassed a $1 billion stake in the company to oust CEO Alan Shaw. (laughs) Okay, that's interesting and unusual. That's very interesting. Uh, There's currently no evacuations or hazardous material threat to the community. The lower Sawson, or is it? Yeah, must be Sawson. Um, Township Police Department said in a statement at 11 a.m. hours after first responders were dispatched. Uh, Let's see. I don't know if they've got anything else here. The initial assessment of the Saturday uh, derailment found that an eastbound Norfolk Southern train collided with a parked train on the same track. The consequent 
Um, wreckage was then struck by a westbound Norfolk Southern train. Wait okay. a second. Okay, so there were two train ca- crashes. Um, yeah, a train collided with another train, and then the wreckage was then struck by another train. So two, but what? Uh, yeah, I guess. Was this one of the two, or <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, we don't know. Uh, no, the eastbound is the first one that started the crash. Right. So an eastbound train oh, crashed and westbound with was also Norfolk Southern. Yeah, they were all like. Well, it just says so maybe a there were three. Train. We don't know about the parked one. Yeah, it must have been Norfolk Southern's as well. So, but was this one of them, or did this? Was this a different? You know. This could I don't know, but else. I'm kind of thinking if I'm a train going down the track and there's a parked train. <laughs> but yeah. I know they can't break very quickly. Yeah, it takes like a mile if they're at speed. Yeah. So the Environmental Profe- uh, Protection Agency and the White House officials demanded the company facilitate and pay for cleanup and offer unequivocal support for East Palestine. So these people will probably get it too, right? Right? Well, they're going to ask right. for it. They may not get it. Good God, this is so... These trains, they just can't stay on their tracks. They're allergic to uh, the, the rail, you know? Let's I can't on. decide if there's any trains by any other companies, because we really only see Norfolk Southern featured. Yeah, they seem to be the ones that are hopping off their tracks regularly. The next article is over in Hometown Daily. Virtual school company appeals trademark loss in which judge calls them a trademark bully. <laughs> I had to choose this one because a judge <laughs> calling somebody defending their trademark as a trademark bully is just, it is the reason why you would appeal. <laughs> right, usually, when you hear, usually when you hear the term trademark bully tossed around, it's done so either by members of the media, such as us here at Tech Dirt um, or Mayor Watt here at hometown. Um, or by defense attorneys making a point before the court. In the uh, case of Florida Virtual School, however, the moniker was given to the company by the judge that ruled against it in a trademark dispute with another company that offers virtual schooling. FLVS, as the company commonly goes by, sued an organization called K-12 at the time, since rebranded as Stride, (laughs) for trademark infringement. The two companies initially settled a 2015 trademark dispute. It's weird though, because K-12 is equally generic, right? Yeah, because that's the nomenclature used in grade school, K through 12. Just because you remove the dash really shouldn't amount to much. It's confusingly similar to the declaration of every other school. Yeah. (laughs) What grades do you cover? K through 12. Uh, uh, All right. So let's jump okay, on but over to the they're not the ones that the judge went after, no. I don't think. No, it's yeah, so um, FLVS apparently sued an organization called K12 at the time, rebranded it to Stride for trademark infringement. The two companies initially settled a 2015 trademark suit surrounding the latter's use of branding for its services as Florida Virtual Schooling. Now the author says, I would have argued at the time that such a term is purely descriptive 
and couldn't possibly be trademark infringement, but alas, a settlement was reached, so we never got to see the test of that argument in court. But then came the 2020 lawsuit brought by FLVS over equally descriptive terms Stride is using. Okay, so this is very interesting, and why didn't the settlement agreement prevent this other suit? But anyway. Yeah, so what they say is the virtual school said it sued again in 2020 because it thought K-12 breached the 2015 agreement when it started a virtual program called the Florida Online School with the small Hendry County School District in southwest Florida in 2019. In filing the lawsuit, FLVS noted that K-12 was advertising Florida virtual schooling on its website, which is viewed as a violation of the previous agreement, and then using a blue color scheme similar to the virtual schools on its website. It's almost like they're, they want to be in, use it for marketing or something. It's weird. Wow, yes. The virtual school Fitch said is required by law to protect its intellectual property that filed the 2020 lawsuit to protect against K-12's repeated infringement on FLVS's trademarks, which deliberately blurred the lines between the two organizations and caused confusion for Florida students and families. But <laughs> Florida online, uh, Florida virtual schooling and Florida online schooling is should be argued as being generic terms because they're descriptive i agree but the problem is they probably have a settlement agreement that says otherwise like Again, it says it... like you agree not to use this term or something right <clears throat> so uh, he called the virtual schools claims i wish they would actually use the school name fl uh what did they call it yeah. flvs flvs i think yeah yeah so it says he called the virtual school's claims feeble in his order and wrote that the school sometimes called by its acronym flvs had presented no credible evidence that k-12 infringed on its trademarks or confused parents looking for virtual classes for their children as it alleged instead florida's virtual school behaved like a trademark bully in pursuing the case he said yeah to me, I would even with that agreement, I would have said, "Look, you know, we had shitty representation or something, and and oh, I agree. ineffective counsel. You know, just poo-poo what you the agreement because they were giving you false information, and and then go from there." Um, but it says it's nice to see a court call out the behavior of a trademark bully for what it is, trademark bullying, even though they have so much history the the trademark itself i don't know itself, why the first one was settled that's pretty interesting because yeah. it does sound just ridiculous yeah like calling yourself k-12 is i don't know to me that has more more uh mm. trademark capability than florida virtual but i think school. k-12 then they could go after if they really wanted to they could go after every school pretty much yeah. Which would be ludicrous, but maybe they're not doing that, and maybe that's part of the point here. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I I would probably see the thing though is that this is a this is a lawsuit between two companies for civil action, right? But it really should be people going after the USPTO and challenging that that, that awarded trademark and invalidating because it is a description. It isn't 
a name. It isn't a brand. It isn't anything that is unique. Um, it's literally a description. So what is you? What what do you do? Oh, we're in Florida and we provide virtual schooling. Exactly. I mean, I imagine every school in the state was probably in violation of that during the pandemic. Yeah, they the, probably said something to that effect on their websites. Yeah, the reason you, uh, the reason why you can defend Nike is because it isn't just a description. It is a brand name. It is used to declare the, what the product is, what the company is. Now, if it would have been um, running shoe manufacturer, then it's... But that's the equivalent of the names here, right? That's right. On both yeah. sides. <laughs> that's right. United States running shoe manufacturer is basically Florida virtual school. Pretty dumb. Pretty dumb. Let's keep going, though, because we don't really... You can't add more to this. The article goes into other minutiae, but um, go and check it out. Then come back. Oh, wait. You know what I failed to do? Uh, Timothy Geiner is the author of this, and it's over at uh, techdirt.com. Sorry about that. I guess I was being a bully there. Did was you there see the department? That, <laughs> yeah, the bully pulpit department. <laughs> yes. I like that. Okay, now I'll do the transition. Sorry about that. Uh, the next article is over in the uh, continuity report. And uh, box office Dune Part 2 rides to impressive $32 million opening day. It's a Dune boon for the box office. Dune Part 2 touched down with an impressive $32.1 million gross in opening day from 4,071 locations. A figure that also includes $12 million from Thursday evening and earlier event preview screenings. It's already the biggest uh, opening weekend of the year, surpassing $28.6 million three-day total from what? Barbie or something. Uh, Jim K. Uh, J. Kim Murphy over at Variety.com put the article together. Um, oh, from, oh, Bob, from Marley. Bob Marley. Gotcha. Uh, Bob Marley, One Love, um, which was an awesome uh, concert. So not One Love. It was a Bob Marley Day concert. But um, so they say um, Dune Part 2 has already nearly matched the $41 million debut that its predecessor landed back in October 2021 when Warner Brothers simultaneously launched the film on its streamer, <laughs> the formerly known HBO Max. <laughs> um, and uh, the, the uh, theatrical landscape was still in a state of heavy rebuild as COVID lockdowns eased. So I... I really don't want to go into anything that might be spoilery because I haven't seen Dune 2, the second part of the, you know, the one that was released last year. This doesn't look like it has any spoilers. Yeah, kind of spooked. So it had uh, ballparked an opening of 70 to 80 million, a range that the film has a good shot of going north of. A significant percentage of ticket sales are expected to come from formats like IMAX and Dolby as there are serious consumer appeal to seeing Dune in a premium large format auditorium. Mayor Watt wanted to see that, um, but it was $25 per person. Yeah, nah. but how many times do they release Dune Part 2? Yeah, well, maybe I'll go. Maybe I'll go. I don't know. Uh, those increased ticket prices help boost grosses, but the limited amount of screenings may also uh, lead to some viewers delaying their outing at, uh, to theaters. 
I've heard people going to 3 a.m. screenings of this. Why? Just to get tickets? Like it's all sold out or something? Just to go and see it. And it's in such demand that they had a screening at 3 a.m. Right. I guess. I mean, they don't even normally offer them. I would imagine <laughs> at that hour. Yeah. I just thought it was odd that they were going at that hour. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't I think about was... the ticket availability. <laughs> Again, at 3 a.m. Um, so, uh, and it'll need it considering it's $190 million production budget, legendary funding, uh, roughly 80% of the production has been involved with marketing too. What? Wow. Wow. Okay. Dune part two also gets IMAX screens for three weeks before Ghostbusters frozen empire hits theaters. That's a sizable window that Warner brothers hopes to capitalize on. Also auspicious for the long theatrical run, part two is just about the best reviewed film of the year. Variety chief film critic Peter DeBruge hailing it a, a satisfaction few films can offer. Wow. This might start getting into spoilers. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to go into it. Um, so if you're really into this, um, I think it was last week's... Um, continuity report we talked about how to watch or how to read all of the dune books um from beginning to end like all uh, so you know the history of it the world building that's involved in it so go back and watch um last week's episode eight episode eight yep because tomorrow right is uh episode nine that's right our weekly show, the continuity report talks about movies and streams and television shows and whatnot. And is focused on that. Whereas hometown daily news is a more holistic program. All right, let's keep going. We've got four more articles to get through. This next article is about the Kia EV nine in the, is the template for a modern car interior and uh, Digital Trend says why. The interior of the Kia EV9 is comfortable and pleasant to be in. In fact, it should serve as a template for car makers. Uh, Christian DeLooper, or De Looper, um, is the author of this. I've actually liked Kias for some time. Their design, their aesthetic is pretty neat. Um, this actually looks really close to uh, Mazda. Um, it does. It also looks like it's kind of merged with um, maybe a Mini. Yeah, kind of the front end looks mini-ish. Um, and even maybe a, a Ford Escape-ish kind of a thing. Yeah. And so, I, I don't know. I like their um, design aesthetic. But it says here in uh, Christian Day Looper from DigitalTrends.com is the one that's basically saying all of this. And I'm just repeating it. Um, there isn't that much to it. Um, but they say... Um, just look at the EV6, a car that would be impossible to imagine in Kia's lineup just five years ago. I agree. I think within the last five, six years, um, Kia has upped their design aesthetic quite a bit. But while fresh and new exteriors are fun to look at, it's the interior that really impacts the driving experience. So they talk about wireless connectivity and wired charging. Um, they have these what look like um, cup holders, but they adjust to whatever size cup is in there. I know that's a shocker for um, m many vehicles. If you do want to charge a cable though, there are plenty of places um, 
you can do it in the EV9. There are two USB-C ports in the front of the car, which if you didn't purchase a car in the last, well, I mean, if you purchased a car prior to the maybe the last five years, then, or maybe two years, three years max, really, then it's always been USB-A, uh, not USB-C. Um, and there are more USB-C ports for second and third row passengers. I mean, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, comfort is one area where there are plenty of companies got there. Plenty of companies have gotten things right, but it's also perhaps the most important aspect of a car's interior. The Kia EV9 starts with comfortable seats that are easy to sit in for hours on end without issue. It actually has buttons. Um, the seats are plush and padded. They say that it's a template. None of this is radically new or different. Kia hasn't invented any crazy new technology or fundamentally changed what makes a great car interior. Instead, they simply put it all together and key details into the cabin that's comfortable and pleasant to be in. So maybe they're like the Apple of cars now that Apple has dumped out of their car that's project. Right. They're not going to be a car uh, producer. That's right. You know, maybe Kia isn't doing it first, but they're doing it right and at a reasonable price, right? Well, so. that's the thing. I mean, it doesn't really help if somebody makes a $100,000 car that has all these fantastic features because that's not accessible to most car buyers. I just got done saying that app, maybe Kia is the apple of cars. And the next article on this page is Kia reportedly put in charge of developing Apple's first car. Okay, that's very interesting. So maybe Kia already had some ideas and then they're like, well, Apple's not making them. We're just, I don't know. Go with it. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, huh? Well, we'll have to keep talking about Kia as the future goes on. Pretty neat, huh? It's almost like I can see into the future. My sentient AI. Oh, you know what? I didn't put that last article in there and I did the transition. So this is how the sausage is made, folks. Hot mess as it is. So the next article is over in the Hatch Ideas channel. Who owns the rights to your AI generated content? And then it says not. It's not you. Maybe the title was written by an AI. No, it's not you. Uncover the scary truth that puts AI users at risk. Uh, the little snippet that we um, get sent is the realization that copyright laws do not protect AI generated material might come as a shock to many. Not if you've actually been breathing oxygen for the last two years. Um, but Ben uh, Angel, or could that be Angle? Yes, I think it could be. Uh, the realization that copyright laws do not protect AI generated material might come as a shock to, to many. And Really, uh, I have a problem with that, but <laughs> you'll have to change the copyright law. Uh, there's a video here that says AI copyright. Who owns AI created content? Hint, it's not you. Maybe that's what this should have said. It, no, not, it's not you. Um, they have a typo in the title or something grammatically wrong in the title. Uh, discover yeah, the show. <laughs> it's making... <laughs> my whole programming just lock up <laughs> <laughs> uh, dividing by zero learn the difference between the right and wrong ways to utilize generative ai um, ai detection in workplaces will be uh 
standard to safeguard company assets, employees and consultants may face repercussions for passing off AI generated content as original. Yes, that's usually referred to as fraud. If somewhere in there it says, is it generated work entirely by you? Contracts are now going to say, if you generate any AI work, you have to tell us that you've used AI generated work. Um, in this eye-opening video, Ben Angel, or Angle, I'm going to say Angle, Ben Angle, uh, delves deep into the critical issue that every content creator, marketer, designer, consultant, author needs to be aware of AI copyright. A recent report from CopyLeaks has brought to light the staggering 60% of OpenAI's GPT 3.5 outputs contain elements of plagiarism, but there's more to the story. The enveloping... Okay, so this isn't just about what you're creating and passing off as yours. It's what Chad GPT is passing, is off, passing as generated. off as is. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, really, that's the problem. And <laughs> uh, how can I put this? If you write anything nowadays, <laughs> there's a really good chance that you have one to two percent of whatever it is you wrote is going to be detected as uh, plagiarism. But, Even if you didn't read the other material. Right. Right. Yep. Because there's only a finite number number of ways to say that you like apple pie or whatever it is. Sorry. <laughs> what is going on in the background? I don't know. It's like I walked into a phone company and every phone was ringing randomly. Okay. Maybe we're in an episode of Doctor Who or something. Yeah, there you go. Um, so it says, are you fully utilizing uh, AI to drive your productivity and profits? And it goes into some other thing. Uh, but the video is where you really should be going and watching this. So I'm just going to click the button, but I'm not going to play the audio. Uh, but it talks about uh, plagiarism, copyright, and more. Uh, the problem here is that everyone should know that copyright doesn't protect AI generated works and AI generated works cannot be copyrighted. Plagiarism is another animal. Plagiarism is an ethical violation, not a criminal violation. And it's certainly not one of legality when it comes to uh, writing in the general sense, you know, wholesale embodiment of a work. You can take a paragraph and spin it and it might be detected as plagiarism, but it isn't a copyright violation. This isn't music we're talking about. And even music I have a, a problem with, with the level of um, <laughs> the, the, the number of notes that equate a violation of musical copyright. It, it's batshit crazy. But wordsmithing something can sometimes run afoul of the global construction of all sentences in the world. So when a contract is written that has something to do with, uh, I don't know, what do you want to say? Um, picture generation. There's only so many ways that picture generation can be created and legal ease and basically common conversation will regurgitate the same type of constructs because that is semiotic ontology. 
we have meaning for series series uh, for a series of words that mean X, right? You won't use AI, right? There's only so many ways you can say uh, you won't use AI before it's nothing more than fluff gobbledygook garbage. Right. So the thing that really should be focused on AI generated material, that's just too nebulous. AI generated artwork cannot be copyrighted. AI generated writing in its generated form cannot be copyrighted. If you take it, wordsmith it, jumble it around yourself because you want to give it special context, you can actually copyright that. You may or may not have to say a significant amount of it was generated by AI. That's up to the US Copyright Office to say, hey, we've got a problem with this. But right now, the only thing that can't be copyright, the only thing that can't be copyrighted um, are images. What do you, you mean the only thing that can't be copyrighted? If an AI generates pictures, you can't copyright that. Right, but that's the same if an AI generates anything. Well, not necessarily. If I take, if I have the AI write an entire book and I go through it and I modify it, jumble it around, make it my own voice, reconstruct it, reconstitute it, then I could put it in there and say, I used AI for some of this, but a, the significant part of this is different than the AI constructed work. But wouldn't that be the same for a picture if you then altered it? If it is so significant and it's changed, then yeah, you should be able to, to copyright it because it's a material change. Just because I use something to generate a boat, the rest of the background I generate, I create, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm shit at drawing boats, but the AI was great. So. By the way, I just looked up um, AI and copyright office, and apparently in the fall and winter, they were seeking public comments about AI. So mm -hmm. I think we should see some interesting things come out on that topic um, yep. yeah. following that, because they'll probably have to synthesize all those comments and then they might put out some new rules or guidance. Yeah, there will be more um, as they kind of wrap their head around the complexity of AI. And just so everybody knows, my perspective of this is that I think AI is nothing more than a tool, just like a camera body and lens. It doesn't make the, the photo that is generated through the lens is entirely, let's say, it isn't of a model that you tell you stand like this and you put the art. If it's just street art, if it is just nature film, if it or uh, photography or video for that matter, if you as the human have no freaking say in what is in front of that lens, why do you deserve a copyright for an image that was constructed entirely by nature? Yet I can't get a copyright for an AI generated work and that is constructed based off of my input to a large degree because I can insert or remove certain elements just by removing a phrase. I think it's more interactive 
with AI than it is with nature photography, for instance. You may have to sit there and take 10,000 pictures, but you still have to compromise on the one that you like just as much as I have to compromise on the AI generated artwork. And it is, I agree in exercise and compromise. It's exactly, that is the phrase that I tell people. If you're going to use AI, it's an exercise and compromise. So I'm just saying the reason why I say it that way is because I think it's a tool and anything constructed with it should be copyrighted. The problem is when somebody tries to abuse it. And so they take a picture of every single whatever widget and, and submit it. Um, not only is the embodiment immediately copyrighted, it doesn't need to be registered, but if they flood the U S copyright office with registrations, it's going to be a nightmare. And it's, yeah, it's going to be very interesting. Plus that's going to cause an uptick in right. Copyright violations. Yep. And this, once if those go through, yes. Yeah. And this comes to a head off of the idea that somebody could do the same thing with music, just randomly generate every possible tone in a song and then anybody that takes a snippet is going to be or i i should say creates that notation they run afoul of the right. dmca immediately which i would so. say is even more limited than the us or any language but i'll say english as an example but right um because there's only so many musical notes right yep so the whole problem is that it needs to be a creative effort not just one that's generic um, and then somebody will sit there and argue with me about, well, what is creative? Because there was an artist who painted basically just a shade of a color. And it was like this just so diffused gradient from one side to the other. And that's copyrighted work. Right. Which, I mean, a lot of people could run afoul of that without ever having seen that work. Yeah, I painted my wall with that gradient and I got paid for it. I painted somebody else's wall like that and got paid for it. And I'm running afoul of copyright. All right, let's keep going. Uh, the next article is about another vehicle, but this one is an electric Fiat 500E is returning to a different America. Uh, the 500E was once only sold in California. The 2024 model is getting a wide release. Ta-da! So if you've ever seen one of the little tiny 500Es, or 500s, Fiat 500s, they're tiny little vehicles that actually kind of frighten me. Um, and uh, Lake Ling or Jake Lingaman um, over in Newsweek.com put the article together. Uh, the Solantis own brand has been withering for the past decade with interesting but slow selling products Its sales in the US dwindled. But the automaker thinks that uh, with this new model, the electric version of its most popular vehicle worldwide, it can change American minds and on small cars. And I just don't think that that's possible. I think I, <laughs> this car is going <laughs> to be uh, I think the problem is because people in the united states really want really large vehicles first off and they think that if they have a smaller car they're gonna die because somebody with a big old f-150 that never touches any dirt um, or has been used to haul anything except maybe 
I don't know, paper towels from the local Target. Um, well, and if it's EV, it's even worse. It's going to smash into this little car, and this little car is going to have a tiny little battery, so you're still going to have to sit around for two hours and wait for this AA-powered vehicle to actually charge up. And it's heavier. It's the heavier of any small car because it has this battery pack in it. So 33 miles a day is what most people drive and it has 140 miles of range. So when you drive, you can only go 75 miles out somewhere and back because if you Hopefully don't, your job or wherever you're going isn't farther than that in radius. Yep. And you'll have to sit and wait for it to charge up a 40 kilowatt, 42 kilowatt battery. And don't have any adverse weather or traffic or anything. Yep. Hot water, uh, hot air will change the uh, efficiency. Cold air will change the efficiency. Rain. Driving up a hill will drain it. If you're heavy and you get into this Fiat, it's going to be drained faster. Plus, I mean, you might be a little crowded. Plus, you'll be crowded. Yeah. So, I don't know. It says on a DC fast charger, it can regain 31 miles in five minutes under ideal charging conditions, enough for an average day of driving. The electric motor delivers 118 horsepower, which is significant for this little car. Um, 162 pound feet of torque, but it goes from zero to 60 in 8.5 seconds. Again, tiny little car. Um, but it says 31 miles in five minutes. But it said under ideal conditions, which those never, never exist in the real world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In a lab. Yeah. And well, plus, that doesn't mean that in multiples necessarily. Yeah. So how much is it that did it say up here? Because it didn't say it down did. here at the bottom yet. Oh, I think it was below the, um, oh, it's 40,000. Oh, 32. Oh, no, no, that's. Sorry, that was yeah. The, the 2024 500e starts at $32,500, which is this tiny little car. But for $40,000, including destination and handling charges, you can get a Tesla Model 3 that has twice as much range and twice as much horsepower and twice as much room. <laughs> it's basically twice the car for $10,000 more, $8,000 more. Yeah, I don't know. I would probably not get this. The Fiat um, looks better, though. Yeah. And that's why it's in hometown Daily News and not in Wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Oh, no. Anyway, um, Fiat didn't name competitors for the quirky 500E, saying that it may replace an SUV or added to or be added to a family's lineup to simply uh, do quick trips. However, the Mini Cooper SE would be the obvious choice, and it has 181 horsepower electric motor in a range of 114 miles and it can get to zero or 60 miles per hour in 6.9 seconds and can gain 80% of its battery in 36 minutes. Who the hell wants to sit around for 36 minutes in ideal conditions? Har, Who har. has 36 minutes in their day? Yeah. <laughs> plus, they, plus they have to sit in Washington DC to fast charge. <laughs> because uh, it's a DC charger. It's a DC charger. <laughs> I mean, that's really handy if you live in Alaska or somewhere. Yeah. Live in California, you have to drive all the way to D.C. just to charge a fast charger. There's slow chargers in California. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, but you might have more chance of sun in California. 
Oh yeah, that's true. All right, let's keep going. You're supposed to save me from saying these stupid things. Next article's over on the Mobile Channel. Research ship encounters giant underwater mountains near Chile. Uh, and, and this actually, when, <laughs> when you follow this link, you'll get taken to a, well, you'll get taken here. The original article actually had a composite set of articles, one of which had to do with AI generated content involving a mouse and it's naughty bits. An AI generated a scientific picture that had to do with, uh, yeah, a discussion and, uh, uh, graphic <laughs> with labels involving a field mouse and its reproductive parts. Okay. Yeah. And they were drawing attention to the whole, this was a paper that was submitted for a scientific journal and apparently published. Um, but anyway, Isaac Schultz over at gizmodo.com. And that's another article that's over here at gizmodo, but I nipped this one in the bud here. The towering seamounts were found by accident during research, during a research mission. It's obviously pyramids and they're constructed by aliens. The seamounts range in height from 5,220 feet to a staggering 8,796 feet for reference. And everybody does this for some strange reason. The Burj Khalifa, the world's tallest building is half the size at 2,717 feet. The seamounts were not previously included in any bathymetry uh, database the team could find and were stumbled upon as the crew uh, was on its way to study gravity anomalies on the seafloor. That's pretty cool. Discovering an underwater. See, now it's a seamount. Is that what that would be called? A seamount? Oh, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Uh, examining gravity anomalies is a fancy way of saying we were looking for bumps on the map. And when we did, we located these very large seamounts while staying on schedule for our very first science expedition in Chile at the start of the year, said John Fulmer, a marine technician for the Schmidt Ocean Institute in an institute release. So congratulations um, to the to date, the research vessel vessels Falcor and Falcor 2. That's the that's the luck dragon from Neverending Story. Falcor. Oh, do you think that's named after that? It has to be. Yeah, uh, right. Uh, I am right about that. Anyway, they've mapped 580,000 square miles or 1.5 million square kilometers of seafloor. When the vessels were are heading to a new location, they typically collect mapping data helping fill in gaps in our knowledge of what lies at the bottom of the ocean. Hopes and dreams. So often the mountains and trenches on the seafloor provide a haven for deep sea organisms like coral sponges and enemies. Not my enemies. By the way, that is the last luck dragon from Neverending Story. But you have to believe, otherwise the nothing will take the seafloor away. Uh, Reefs become biodiversity hotspots in their own right. Last year, Falcor 2, T-O-O, 
Yeah, I know. I didn't know whether that had been done like via audio, and so. Oh no, it's or... like Falcor as well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's also, also the last Falcor. luck dragon, but not really because now there's two of them. It's always the last. Uh, captured remarkable video of the hydro hydrothermal vents on an underwater mountain range and imagery of vibrant coral reefs off the Galapagos, which is always great to hear um, that uh, coral reefs are still around. Yeah. Uh, Particularly uh, for, in such a high biodiversity area. Yeah. And if you're not familiar, climate change is impacting coral reefs around the world and they are periodically dying off in large swaths and nobody really knows other than they know that the average water temperature in the area has increased well they also know that the um like runoff into the oceans is not positive Correct. like um it's too acidic i think yeah there's like the nutrient mix. like fertilizer and stuff yeah, yes fertilizer is poisoning the coral and it's not getting the right um well, it's not getting the right natural um, nutrients. So, yeah, it all sucks. Keep your runoff from running off. But I did tell the story way in the past about a, a tree just outside of Ometown that is vibrant and very strong because of nutrient runoff from <laughs> another local That is community. true. However, it is not in the ocean. It's not in the ocean. That's right. Um, okay. Well, that's it for hometown daily news for, uh, March 2nd, 2024. So we all jump back into the party bus and drive down main street. And I'd click this, but I know that some events have been taking place over the last hour. And so I'm not going to hit refresh. You'll just have to go over to hometown.com and check it out yourself. So with that in mind, I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the sentient AI that was throwing me error messages just now saying, you're right. Don't refresh. You do not want to refresh. (laughs) And I've already been told by one uh, of, I'm trying to promote one of the videos, the reality hacker video from last week that I can't do it because there was just one snippet scrolling on my screen not under my control and that three second little snippet invalidated that's my crazy promotion. yeah i think it was zero fidelity and it's all stupid but i have no bargaining power anyway you all thank you very much for coming we'll see you on the other side you want to say bye oh great ai good night hometown citizens but come back shortly for our episode of reality hacker and then followed by that we have wanted coming up That's right. Dun, dun, dun. See you in a little bit. Come back for two more shows. Bye-bye.